morning, CGS. Uh, today's scripture reading is from Exodus 35, verses 4 through 29. Again, that's Exodus 35, verses 4 to 29. Let's read the word of the Lord. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you the co a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of generous heart. Let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tan ramskin, and goatskin, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman <clears throat> among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with the poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles, and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with the utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basins and the stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all, of, uh, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to, to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all its services, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen of, or goat's hair or tan ram skin or goat skin brought them. Everyone who can make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with their hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them in, uh, to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Sorry, And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, let's pray one more time. Living God, help us to sow to hear your holy word that we may truly understand. That understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So we are on the last part of uh, Exodus. I'm just going to move this real quick so I can see the beautiful faces on this side. Um, and this is part one 
of basically the final five chapters of Exodus from Exodus 35 to 39 and 40 we'll do this week and next. And there was a theme that has been passed from last week to this week, and I want you to remember it. So I want you to remember this one theme, uh, which is participation. Participation. I want these words to kind of just etch in your minds right now. Take the word participation, shrink it, click it, drag it to the side, and leave it up there in the top left corner, and we're going to bring it back down in just a bit, okay? So just think of participation. Exodus has been a very exciting journey, I believe for us, not just the Israelites, but in our journey as well, we saw a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities. But it is also because we recognize that it's God who is leading his people from a place of oppression to a place of salvation to a place where he wasn't there, to a place where he reigns and he is. And so when we sing songs like Our God Reigns, ah, those things really resonate personally in my heart because this is what we are really looking forward to, the reign of God coming down into our lives, into this place. And how can you not lift up your heart to the Lord, right? And so we are going through Exodus, and now after we saw God give them the law and the commands and the mountains. After all this happened, they built the golden calf, right? And they rebelled, which is very human, um, which is us. But after that, there is a restoration that takes place. The theme of participation is because he showed, uh, and we are shown, that Moses would kind of participate in that priestly duty of interceding and the salvation of the people saying, please, God, don't do this. So there is a participation in salvation that God wants his people to do. So this is where we get it. And so from these next few chapters, I want to uh, go over three, just three points. And number one is generosity. Number two is obedience. And number three is building. Generosity, obedience, and building. Um, it's an acrostic which spells out gob. It means nothing. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, generosity, obedience, and building. So it starts out like this. The passage that was read today says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart... Let them bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, fine twine, linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and the onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And whoever is uh, of a generous heart, that's what the Bible says. So this is important. What does generous mean? What does generous mean? Uh, the etymology of generous comes from the French word, généreux, which comes from the Latin word, generosus. Generosus means noble and magnanimous. Gener generous comes from the Latin word, which means noble and magnanimous. 
But I would say let's even go back further, if we're talking about word etymology, go back even further to the Bible. The word that is translated generous, generous is nadib, which is literally the word for leader, ruler, official, prince, someone who is of noble status. That's the word for generous. And this is where I would insert my name, Eugene. Gene means generous. Okay, but that's where the word comes from. Nobility, that's what generous means. And so if you are a generous person, it originally meant that you were a noble person because a noble person who is magnanimous, who is kind, who is giving, they would be the generous people. And now we have kind of a different understanding in our culture, don't we? So when we say someone is generous, it doesn't necessarily mean someone is of noble standing, someone who is highly regarded. Sometimes we may, in our culture, use generous as a negative word. That's kind of amazing. But we have come to a place where we are a little bit further from the original etymology of the word or the meaning of the word, where someone might be like, this person is maybe a little too generous, meaning this person doesn't know how to manage their whatever it is. Too generous with their money or their time or they say they're yes man or something like that. And they'll be like, this person is too generous, as if that were a thing. But if we are to really look where the word comes from, the word literally in Hebrew means leader or noble. So when God says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart, I want you to keep that picture. What does it mean to be generous? Who should give to the Lord? Who is the one that should contribute to God? It's someone that is of a generous heart heart. How can you be of a noble or generous heart then? How do we know what generous or noble really means? And then we've got to look in the Bible. Verse 21 and onward to the end of the passage, passage that we read, it says, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all his service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Brought brooches, earrings, signet rings, armlets. And it goes all the way down, even to verse 26, where it says, All the women whose heart stirred them used their skill to spin goat's hair, right? And then in the last verse, in verse 29, it says, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart Move them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Who is of a noble or generous heart? Your heart stirs, your spirit moves, and your willingness grows. That's when you see the invitation to participate come and you contribute. Your heart stirs, 
Your spirit moves, and then the willingness comes. I want to go forward because this is a free will gift that the Lord is asking for. Now, remember I said, take that word and now put it right back in the middle. So what is it about participating in the priestly manner that Moses did right before we read this chapter? Priestly manner, meaning he interceded for his people. He loved God's people. And now we see a generous heart also coming that we are being shown. So I'm going to put up this. I'm going to ask that we put up the next verse. Uh, this is outside the passage that we read, so we're going to put it up on the screen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen race. Remember, last week we talked about being the distinctiveness of God's people, a chosen race. And here it is, a royal priesthood. Understanding the word participation, understanding God's priesthood that he's asking us to participate in, and the nobility of generosity. When Peter writes royal priesthood, all of us now should be like a holy nation, a people call for his possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is he asking us to participate in in being a royal priesthood? Is it that God really needs these contributions? Is it that God really needs for us to do these things on this earth, like, man, see, if uh, Pastor Paul doesn't do these things, I don't know what I'm going to do. Is that what God is saying? Or is it more like the heart that we shared before when a little child goes to his dad and says, you can take that off now, uh, when a little child goes to his dad and says, oh, I see you making coffee, and I, and I don't know what, what's going on. Can I make that with you? I don't know if he used these exact words, but he would say, I want to make coffee too. I want to make what you're making. And he would see his dad doing a little, and I, I saw this happen, and his dad would do doing uh, this pour over with this coffee, and the little kid wanted to join him. And the dad said, okay, let's do it together. Is it because the dad needs it? Or is there joy in letting the son participate in something that makes the father happy? There is something incredible that we are learning here that we get to participate by being a royal priesthood, a generous people. So what does a noble or generous heart contribute? What do we contribute? So a stirred heart, when we look at the word stirred heart, it appears three times in the next two chapters. A stirred heart contributes in three ways. Verse 21 says, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all the service, and all for the holy grammar. So they brought uh, material, right? In verse 26, this is all the women whose heart stirred them to use their skill to spin goat's hair, so there is skill involved. In fact, it goes on to chapter 36. Well, Bezalel and Oliab, um, Oliab, excuse me, and every craftsman was given skill by God. The word skill is the same word, by the way, for wisdom. So you could take that for what it's worth. Because wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge well. And then when you say, man, this person has skills, 
you are saying he could take the knowledge or she could take the knowledge of this craft and apply it really well. So skill and wisdom, same word, that's for free. And also we could call it talent. Talent, right? This person is very talented. Hannah, you're very talented in the things that you do. And this is what people also affirm, right? And uh, we see, so first we see material, then we see skill. And finally, in verse 2 of chapter 36, it says, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him, right, had, up, had come to do work. Work. So what are the things that the generous heart contributes uh, we see here materials, skills, and work. These three things are to be contributed. Mind you, not forcefully. God never goes, you better do this or I'm going to punish you. He said, whoever is of a generous heart, a willing heart, so a free will offering. These things are emphasized over and over and over again, just so you know. But who does that? It's someone with a noble heart. Someone who has to do it, we don't really say is of a noble character. It's like, oh, I have to give and that kind of thing. That's not of a noble heart, but someone who is generous, who's willing, right? And do these three things. Materials, skills, and work. These are the things that are contributed here we see in the Bible. Material, skill, and work doesn't make for a nice acrostic, so... Uh, a lot of people say it differently. Some, you may have heard time, treasure, and talent. All T's, right? So it's easy to remember. What do we contribute generously? Our time, our treasure, and our talent, right? That's what we contribute. And then I was thinking about it. Why does it have to be a T, you know? I like the word F. I like the F word, so why not fortune, flair, and future? So that's what we're going to call it from now on. And then I said, wait a minute, I do like the letter E, so we can say energy, expertise, and earnings. Well, whatever you want to call it, and whatever word, letter you want to use, I want you to remember this. But I really like the Bible words that we read, so we'll keep it for today. Materials, skills, and work, otherwise known as msu, right? And so we can easily remember with this easy acrostic msu. So God wants to us to contribute our masua, right? And when we do it, we do it with a generous heart. I wanted to point to you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Put this up, keep this up for about five more seconds. And I want, I want to point out to you, why does God love a cheerful giver? Because God himself is a cheerful giver. He loves to give. And he has given us so much. And we also, when we participate, when we become cheerful givers, he is also showing us that's who he is. So when he gives us some things to us, when he bestows upon to us gifts and answers to prayer, is it under compulsion? Does God do it reluctantly? 
It's like, oh, fine, here you go. Or does he cheerfully give to us? So we also should be cheerful givers. Thank you for putting that up. And we also learn this wisdom. The reason why he wants us to contribute, and when we contribute a lot, is because he is showing us that he uses what is sown, and he brings a bounty or a harvest. This is a truth in life we must understand. This is a wisdom that we have to recognize. The physical world that God shows us is also true in the spiritual realm. What we sow, we will reap. If you sow sparingly in the spiritual world, you will reap sparingly. But what if you sow bountifully? Then what is God showing us? We will reap bountifully. That's an amazing truth. That's a wisdom I hope that you could take home. Take it, put it in your pocket, and remember for the rest of your life. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. And how are we to do this cheerfully? So God shows us in the word now how to be generous and how to contribute in what ways, what he needs. And he's very, very specific, which you might come to think, wow, you know, we've been doing Exodus chapter 1 all the way down to now chapter 35, and finally we have some application. How come there wasn't any specific application? And I I would challenge you into thinking this. Every single passage in the Bible does have application. But there is something that we ought to understand about this particular application that the people have. And that is God takes most of his time doing what? Showing us who he is first. Does that make sense? We're not to do something first and then see God. Nowhere in the Bible and what we've read does that happen. In fact, it takes 35 out of the 40 chapters of God again, showing us again, even when we stumble again, when we're oppressed and we lose hope again, after people threaten us again, he keeps on showing us who he is again and again and again. And finally, we get to a point where we see, yes, we can respond and we can give. And so what kind of people would give if you think about it, right? But it leads us to the next point, which is obedience. Obedience is just as important as what we think of when we say the word hearing, hearing the word. Hearing the word really means obeying the word. If you think you are hearing, but you're not obeying, then my challenge to you is you are not hearing. It's a very classic, even contemporary conversation you can have with someone that you love, that you're close with. And you can be like, I told you to do this. You are not hearing me. Is it because they're deaf, they can't listen? No, it's because they're not actually following. We actually put those two together in our understanding. You're not listening to me when you scold someone. You're not understanding, you're not hearing me, meaning they're not following. So obedience is hearing. So when we say 
Here, now, the word of the Lord, it should take on a different meaning. Doesn't it? Here, now, the word of the Lord means, yes, I will obey. What, have, what does the word have for me? But obedience just doesn't come out of nowhere. It flows from a generous heart. A heart that's changed after 35 chapters of over and over again of God showing us his love. So obedience flows from a generous heart. And a truly generous heart, if you think you have a truly generous heart, it leads to obedience. You can't have one without the other. One flows and one leads, but back to each other, right? Obedience flows from a generous heart, and a truly generous heart leads to obedience. And this is exactly what happens in chapter 37, chapter 38, chapter 39. This is exactly what. What did God command in chapter 25? He gave very specific examples. So when I actually, I have a lot to learn and a lot of things I repent of and a lot of things I'm humbled by. But one of the most like amazing things that I see is God is actually very specific, very detailed. It all points to something. But he doesn't go, "Mm, you know, I'm going to make an Ark of the Covenant. I want you to build a box. And then someone will be like, how should I build a box? You know, whatever way you want it, man. I just want a box. He doesn't say that. It goes two and a half cubits by one and a half cubits by one. And he gives specific dimensions. And he's saying, this is what I'm going to use it for. This is how I want you to build it with this kind of material. So uh, what are we generous with, with our material skill and work? But God shows us exactly what to give. He doesn't just go, just any kind of material. Come in and just put in your favorite toy. That's not what he says. And so obedience that flows from a generous heart does this. And I want to uh, please put up that next slide of the comparison of chapter 25 and chapter 37. So when we put up chapter 25, it said this, they shall make an ark of acacia wood. I hope you can see this. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit, and a, by the way, a cubit is about one and a half feet. One cubit is one and a half feet, so you could kind of see um, maybe the smallest of you could fit in this box, but probably most of you won't be able to fit, and I'll stop it there. So two and a half cubits will be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth or its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay with pure gold. This is chapter 25, and it gives you these exact things. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. And it's very specific. And then what does it say in chapter 37? Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. In fact, if you, I put it up there so that you could look. If you look at all these things, except for the, the italicized uh, verses, it's because this is what's to be done after it's made. This is actual making. It's exactly the same. So how are we to obey God? We are to obey God in the way he is 
showing us we should obey God. This is what he wants. And could we get that next slide up there? So there is an instruction, and then there is a completion. In fact, all of these seven separate instructions are completed exactly the same that, we've, that I showed you before. I just want to put up one example and not every single chapter and verse, but you could take this home with you too, and you could look at it with you will. But the point is this. It's clear. The, con- the construction exactly matches the instructions. The construction matches the instruction, and it becomes very explicit when we go to chapter 39 and we talk about the making of the priestly garments. And in fact, in the making of the priestly garments in chapter 39, verse 1, 5, 7, 21, 26, 29, 31, 32, 42, 43, 10 times it says, as the Lord commanded Moses. There is an emphasis that is taking place that we cannot miss. When we obey God, how do we obey God? How do you know you're obeying God? God tells us something, and then he gives us instruction, and we obey it. Some of you might be thinking, this is very rudimentary. This is elementary stuff. Why are you going over this? Isn't it obvious? And the answer, I think, is no. The answer is no. I don't think it's obvious anymore. I think we live in a society where people are thinking, I can think God is whoever I want him to be. I think what I'm doing is obeying God when there's no biblical foundation for that thinking. Like, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I feel it in my heart. Where does it say that, that when you feel it in your heart, you are? So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to fulfill the Great Commission? What does it mean to do what Jesus is asking you? Well, it's to live a good life. And some people might even answer that. And the answer is, there is nowhere in the Bible that says following Jesus is living a good life. Well, uh, it's coming to church on Sunday. Nowhere in the Bible does it say going to church on Sunday is living a Christian life. What is the Great Commission? What does the Bible say? It says, make disciples of all nations. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it says, teaching them to obey all the commands I have given you. Jesus gave us all these commands. He is also very specific because he's God. He just doesn't go, generally live a good life, you know? And when you feel really heavy, I want you to sit with your legs crossed and your thumb and middle finger put together and hum. No, he doesn't say that in the Bible. Where do we get this from? Where do we get instruction from? It's from the word of God. So, you know, I, I do not think it's obvious. And the Bible is reiterating showing us that God does give us instruction. It's in the word. It's specific. And we are to also follow it. That is obedience. That is obedience. And it's made very clear that every time they did, especially for the priestly garments, they said, as the Lord commanded Moses. And in fact, at the very end, what does Moses do? He inspects it just to make sure There's an inspection. It's like, is this right? (coughs) Excuse me. So the Israelites did all the work that the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that it was good. And then finally, at the very end, it says Moses blessed them. The word uh, finished and the word completed are the same word in Hebrew. 
And it brings us all the way back. Remember, the tabernacle points forward, but it also points backward. We went over this, right? Where does it point forward to? It points forward to Jesus Christ. Where does it point back to? It points back to Eden, the very beginning, when God made and he saw that it was good. So this word completed that we see in the Bible, when they finally finished the work, it said they finished, they completed. That is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Uh, 1 and 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so there is a finishing and completing that actually is reminiscent and leads us back to thinking of Genesis, back to the beginning when God said, this is good. So Moses also, just as God inspects creation, Moses inspects creation as well or the, the tabernacle, and then you see all these things. I hope that you're seeing right now, and you're with me. I hope you're with me. There's participation. The title of this chapter is A Taste of God's Glory. Participation, glory. All these things, I hope, are starting to come together, like puzzle pieces slowly. You're putting together, and you're like, whoa, this is going to be an insane picture. And just as God, so Moses inspects creation, both give their blessing and their finished work. And so we see there is a link from Eden to Sinai to the tabernacle to the temple to Jesus Christ. But mostly we see tabernacle, Eden, Jesus. We see this kind of line taking place. And we see that this plan was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ. So these are plans that are all pointing forward, right? Remember, these are pointing forward. What are they pointing forward? We said Jesus Christ, because now the dwelling place of God through Jesus Christ, I'm going to do now this, Eden. If you look at the whole history, you have Eden. Then you have Mount Sinai. Then you have the tabernacle. Then you have the temple. And then you have Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ does something while he's on earth, doesn't he? He sends the Holy Spirit to fill who? The church. So the dwelling place of God is now not the tabernacle. We're not making a tent here. We didn't put ram skins and spin goat's hair here. We didn't. Why? Because the dwelling place is here. Here in God's people. And God is saying, God is now dwelling among his people, and his people are with him. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, this is what we're appointed, this is what we're excited about. And we can summarize it like this. God is present in heaven. God is present in creation and in Eden. God is present on Mount Sinai. God is present in the tabernacle and temple. God is Jesus, and God is present now in the church and in the Christians. God is present in the new creation that he is promising. His presence, his face goes with his people, and he's showing us there is a, there's a line that we're to see. And if we see it through this lens, we see God's amazing plan of restoration and salvation taking place. This happens, number one, 
through a generous heart. Number two, obedience. Let's go to our final point. Building. 125, no, I'm just kidding. Not this building. Building means the actual making, right? So what are we doing? We are the royal priesthood participating in this glorious act of building the body. So if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, let's keep this here for a few more seconds. And I want you to think of this picture when God said all these tasks to be done, in the Bible, we see that the Spirit of God empowered His people with skill. That's what we see in chapter 36. God would empower His people with skill and talent. So when we say, what's first? What's first in our church? Is it skill or is it first a willing heart? Is it a heart that's generous and noble? And I would say they kind of intertwine, but if you're going to get it mixed up, the answer first has to be the willing heart. We don't force people to play. People here that are playing instruments that have this skill and talent are people that have been endowed by the Holy Spirit with this talent, and they give willingly. No one forces them. And we don't pay people to play here, right? We, we don't say, uh, you're such a great drummer. Please come pray, play for our church because we really need a good drummer. I know that you don't believe in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't matter. We just want good music. That's not what we do here either. We do not do those things because there is an order. There is a process. There is step-by-step step God is teaching us. And when finally, we cannot miss this because there is a need in the church. Think of CGS, please. Think of CGS right now. There are needs there. Are there not? There is. Even this very moment, there is need. And don't you see that when you have your heart stirred by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that will give you skill to complete the work? That's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. So what are the areas of his body that need work in? Are there any places that are dislocated, joints that aren't working well, a little squeaky, needs WD-40, that kind of thing? Do, are there any places like that? Then when we see that the Spirit first teaches us who God is, stirs up in our heart, gives us a willing heart, then it gives us skill to complete it. Stop worrying about the skill first. Let's get the willing heart there. Let's ask God to stir up our hearts so that we can see that there is a need. And those who are willing, those who are generous, should be the ones giving to the church. And I, and I promise you, it is God's promise that we're seeing that those who will reap will then sow. This is just amazing stuff, you guys. And I hope that you're with me every single, every single step, every single uh, part of the way that we've been walking here this morning. And so it is God that equips us and the whole body is now healthy. So we're to see each other, our church, as a body, as one organism, right? Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. And so we, we don't say stuff like, and um, 
We'll get into this when we do 1 Corinthians. This is weird because I already know what we're, like, books we're preaching on. 1 Corinthians is going to be after Matthew. So I'm already excited about that we're reading 1 Corinthians. But um, it's about how we can be a healthy body. But I don't want you to get the very base foundation of understanding what it means to be a body before we think about healthy body. Right? So Christ or the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, equips us to do this work. You know what's really interesting, though? <laughs> We've learned about Mesua, uh, right? Materials, skills, and work. I hope you never forget that. Uh, We've learned that these are the things that we are to be generous with, right? Noble, to be a Eugene. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, there, there was this... Um, there was this Netflix show that I watched with my wife, and the main character's name was Eugene Choi. And he's like, oh, noble. It's like, this guy. Anyway, uh, but um, it was in my head while I was writing this. Um, but uh, it's we who have been called to this royal or noble priesthood to participate in this amazing work God has for us. I hope you see that. That's amazing. And I hope that God will stir up in us this heart to participate. Um, but what's really interesting, now that we learn Masua and about generosity and obedience, before all of this happens, if you were with me all throughout Exodus, and most of you were, we saw that God gives instruction. Remember, instruction for the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the altar of incense, and all that goes all the way down to the outer courts. And then remember, there was the priestly garments that Pastor Paul did. And after that was what? The Sabbath. Are you with me? So he, there was this order. But here, it's really weird because even though we saw, we saw the seven things that were exactly the same, there was the instruction and the completion, instruction, completion. But finally, when he talks about the Sabbath, it's not there. It's not there in chapter 40. It's not. Where is it? It's in chapter 35 before even the work began. So he ends the instruction with Sabbath. And I hope you remember that sermon. But he begins chapter uh, Sorry, he ends the instruction starting from chapter 25 with Sabbath, and he begins chapter 35 with the Sabbath, reminding people, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. Six days you shall work, on the seventh you shall rest. You can't even kindle a fire. Chapter 35, verses 3, right? You can't even kindle a fire. He really wants you to completely rest. And the people that were following God at the time, he's like, we can't even kindle a fire. How are we to cook? Uh, and so there were, there's instruction in other books of the, in the Pentateuch of the first five books where you would take the mana or the, that, that crazy bread uh, that had all that protein. Do you remember that? And then you would cook it the night before and then you would keep it and it would last two days, right? Uh, and so there were things that, but, the God, but God was showing, really want you to keep this holy. I really want you to keep it separate. I really want you to rest and so it's really interesting that God reminds his people first about the Sabbath before they even start the work. Why? Because when you do the work, you will have to rest. When you do the work, 
you will have to rest. Um, being generous, the giving of your materials, your skill, and your work, this is exciting stuff. Isn't it exciting to build the church? It's exciting stuff. The prospects of how God is going to build this church is exciting. It's exhilarating to even imagine. It's heart-stirring. It's spirit-moving. But it also will be tiring. You will be spent. You will get really tired. Jesus comes to the earth, to this earth, to us, and he declares that he is the Lord of something. Do you remember this? What does he declare himself to be the Lord of what? The Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he says. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of this rest that God is saying that we need and we must have if we are to continue to do work and continue to get, keep it exciting, exhilarating, heart-stirring, spirit-moving. But by declaring himself the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching us that it was, number one, he that created all the heavens and the earth. Right, Because God created, and then he rested on the seventh day. So declaring himself the Lord of the Sabbath means Jesus is God. And secondly, as we work, God is the one that gives us rest. God is the one that gives us rest. So when we rest, Jesus is saying, rest in me. You want to find rest other places? You won't find that. Because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It needs to be in me. And when you have rest in me, that's true rest. It's true rest. What does that show us? What do these two points show us? That Jesus is God and that God gives us rest? It shows us that work doesn't save us. Working doesn't save you. And some of us work really hard in the church. And I appreciate you so much. But let me tell you this. Your work doesn't save you. God is showing us that our work doesn't save us, but it is a finished work, a completed work that actually saves us. It's Jesus' work that saves us. This does something. Understanding this does something. So am I a good Christian? It's because I come to church. I help out in the welcoming. I gave this guy a bulletin. Boom, he's evidence that I'm a hard worker. Gotta be a Christian. That, that doesn't save us by showing us that it's Jesus' work that saves us, his finished work that saves us, then what it does something to us. It changes the way we have to think. Because normally in every single part of the world, because it's a fallen world, we have to work to gain some kind of status. We do. You wanna raise? You better work your butt off. Oh, you're not going to get that raise. Oh, you better know somebody. You know, that kind of thing. You better do something. But ultimately, it's saying God is the one that did the work. So that work itself doesn't save us. It's the finished, not our work, but the finished work of Christ that saves us. So when we work, what happens? What happens? When we think, okay, so this work, this work that I'm going to do doesn't save me. What happens to me? What I start to recognize is I am not laboring to attain God's favor. The harder I work doesn't mean God's going to love me more. It's like, good job, Eugene. Just got 10 points in my heaven book. That's not what happens. 
When I work, I'm not working hard to attain God's favor or blessing because we already have it. Through Jesus Christ's perfect and finished work, we already have God's favor and blessing. So when we work, what is happening now? I'm pouring, the, God's pouring the coffee, and I'm like, Daddy, can I pour some with you? That's what's happening. We are participating in God's glory. We're getting a taste of what it's like to be in heaven with him for eternity. This exhilaration is just a small, small, tiny taste of what's to come. This excitement is a small, tiny taste of what's to come. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that when we work, we're participating in God's glory? What the, where does it say that in the Bible? So we'll put up that next slide, please. The last slide it says it in a lot of places, actually. This is in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. John chapter 17, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, Jesus is telling, praying to the Father in this very famous prayer in John chapter 17, I have given to them. What has he given to the church and his disciples? Glory that they may be one even as we are one. Talking about unity, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and then raised up with him and seated us with him, meaning Jesus Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So who is raised up? We are raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, to this he has called you through our gospel good news so that you may obtain the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And we can take that down. So God is giving us a taste of his glory because he wants us to participate with him. This is what happens when you love somebody. And we can see he has chosen his holy people, separated them because he loves his people. God gives us hearts of generosity and obedience so that we can participate in the building, but participate in God's glory. By us, this is how we participate, by us giving him glory, and through us, by showing God's glory. So when we worship, we give him glory. When we build our church, we're giving him glory. But we, when we go out and we're scattered, we're showing God's glory to the world. We are evidence of God's glory. We are evidence of Jesus Christ. And you may have heard this before if you went to church for a long time. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That means we carry his spirit and his glory is going with us. There's some crazy stuff going on here. I, I want to I take this one step back just so that we're not confused with the current movement that's going on. Are we now housing, like, do we keep God's glory and it's for us to dispense? We're like, boom, Kenny, now you have a little bit of my glory. Bah, and, that, and the answer is no, that's, that's cartoonish. That's not in the Bible. Uh, what we do is we dispense and we share grace because God is the one that gives it to us. And he says, give it to each other, first and foremost. Show it to the world. So we do it in obedience to God. Not like my own will, but what we do is 
through God's will. That's why we gather together to pray. Show us how can we follow your will. People who pray together will know God's will. People who do not pray together will start dispensing it like Hadoukens and fireballs, and that kind of thing. That's not in the Bible. I'm sorry. And so what we do is we pray and we desperately pray, God, show us your will. Let your will be done. And as we go into the time of breaking bread and pouring the pouring of the cup, I hope that you will remember the teachings that the Lord has given us, especially the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. As we pray this now together, let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done, the finished work that has been completed in Jesus Christ so that we can be free from sin, the oppression that it brought, and finally go to you, our true king. Pray, God, that you would be with us now. Stir up in our hearts a generosity and obedience so that we can build your church. Let's take this time to pray, each of us, and ask the Holy Spirit to place or convict your heart to where you need to develop generosity, obedience, so that you can participate in building God's church. Let's pray. is made perfect when I am weak. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us um, just this amazing grace and privilege of participating joyfully in your table, in your feast where you invite us to dine with you. And Lord God, as we do this to proclaim the death and the coming of Jesus Christ, we ask that we would also be able to live that out with our actions and our deeds outside of this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.